Good morning. It is great to be here. I got up early and I got on the road by seven. I live in Santa Barbara. Yep, um, because someone has to. And um, and I pick me, Lord, pick me. So um, I'm willing to live there, and I have been there for a long time, over 30 years. And I'm involved in a free Methodist, small free Methodist church plant there, uh, called Pueblo Free Methodist, and. We uh, have a Spanglish congregation, and it's been really fun. Um, and I could tell you about it more after the service if you want to hear about it. And I do like the same music that John does. When we both went to Coldplay concerts last summer and sent texts about it, and, and we like to joke that we are from the 70s when music was real. <laughs> so, um, so I, I was here last summer, um, and around this time. And uh, so it's really fun to be back. And I do work for our conference, which is all of our churches from Santa Barbara to San Diego. But I think I even want it on video record. You guys are just one of the top 20. No, I'm kidding. You're, you're one of my top three favorite churches. I just love being here. I feel like I have friends here. I feel like I have partners and soulmates. And we've walked a journey. I, I have been working with John for a while, and he's a piece of work. <laughs> um, so... Emily, you can go ahead. I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to even say anything more. Um, um, so, no, I have delighted working with him. It's, been a, it's really been fun. When I was here last summer, though, I don't think I told you much about how I became a Christian. And we really could take the whole time doing that because I'm fascinating, but um, we won't do that. <laughs> but one thing I do want to tell you is I did not grow up going to church. And I, for anyone that did, is the same, I, I welcome you. I did not set foot in a church until I was 15 years old. Uh, I, uh, my dad uh, grew up in North Hollywood. I was telling Gary about this earlier. And he was Jewish and grew up in the valley. And uh, he, they practiced as a family until his bar mitzvah. And then he kind of kicked everything to the curb after that and didn't continue in his faith. My mom grew up in Indiana. And she got out west as fast as she could, met my dad. And she'd grown up going to church, but she kicked that to the curb as well when they got married. And they said, you know, you guys can figure it out when you get older. So I did not, we did not pursue anything, but you know, what happens when you get into high school, right? I started having problems. I started having problems with my friends. I started having problems with my parents, especially, and I didn't know what to do. So I started, as they say in the old country song, I started looking for love in all the wrong places. And um, I picked the three Bs, boys, beer, and besties. So um, I, I looked for a boyfriend that was going to solve all my problems. I looked to parties and went to parties every weekend my freshman year. And then I also looked for the best friend that it could possibly solve everything. And any woman in here will tell you that girls in high school are, are really mean. <laughs> so that didn't work at all. And so um, I started looking around in other places. And uh, fortunately, I uh, ran into a big group of Christians. And they started inviting me to stuff. And that changed my life. And they welcomed me. They didn't judge me. They knew what I was up to, and they, they welcomed me. And uh, it wasn't real hard. I became a Christian pretty quickly. One of the things that happened very quickly in that is I discerned that I needed a Bible. And we didn't have any in the house. So I went to my mom, and I said, I need a Bible. And then after her response, <sighs> She was so bummed, you know. Um, she went to what would be for us like CVS. Uh, I grew up in Northern California, and she went to a place called Gemco. 
And um, remember Jemco? It's so funny that you would remember that. Um, and so I went and got my first Bible. And this was it. It's called a Reach Out New Testament. And I don't know if you can see from the cover, but there's this one woman here, and she's like, <laughs> you know, why do they put stuff on the, on the Bible? I have no idea. And then there's a kind of a thoughtful guy here, and then there's a really happy dude in the front. And then there's a lot of photos, which makes no sense to me with 70s haircuts, but picture of the Vietnam War, no idea why. Um, a person calf roping, no idea why. And um, so then I, but I did what every, I think, normal person does, when you get a book, you open the cover, you look in the table of contents, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, great, chapter one, Matthew. Great, I guess I'm going to read about a guy named Matthew. So then I started reading the Bible, and I was amazed. There was, there was stuff in there that I had never heard in my life. I mean, there was stuff I didn't understand, for sure. I mean, at the beginning, there's this whole thing about where Jesus came from. I didn't know who any of those people were. But I was a high school student, so what do you do when you're in parts of books that you don't understand? You know, I would just pass forward all that stuff, right? I got Romeo and Juliet in high school in English class. Didn't understand half the stuff that was going on. Flip the pages. You know, that's not hard. But then there would be something really fascinating, and I would grab onto that. And I got to Matthew 6, Whereas this whole teaching about learning not to worry and how does worrying add a single moment to your life and seek first the kingdom of God. And I mean, I had my little yellow highlighter out and just yellowing all the pages thinking this was amazing. So I finished the book of Matthew and I go right to the next book. I was confused in some points that never, the guy Matthew's never mentioned, which I thought was very odd. Um, so then I get to the book of Mark and I'm like, okay, well, I didn't learn about Matthew, but maybe I'm gonna learn about Mark. Great. So I start reading Mark, and I like it, but I'm kind of confused, because the plot repeats itself, and I'm baffled. I already know this stuff about Jesus. Why am I reading about it again? I mean, is this Groundhog Day? What's going on? <laughs> and I, I, I really didn't understand. Well, for those of you that may not be familiar with the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament are different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Is there feedback? Do I need to do something here? This, you're showing, I'm showing you the extent of my technology. <laughs> um, so, I get the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are different accounts of the ministry of Jesus. It's kind of like a car accident, and it's all the different perspectives, right? From the driver, from the person up in the building who saw it, from the policeman who comes to the accident. There's just four different perspectives. I didn't know that. So then I finally go to one of my adult leaders in the youth ministry I was in, and I'm like, you know, and they're like, oh, you need to come to Bible study. <laughs> so then I started going to Bible study, and they walked me into the Bible. And within three months, I'd read my Reach Out New Testament. I, I mean, I was blown away. And two things really struck me quickly. First of all, it was the person of Jesus Christ. I'd never met anyone like this. The things that he said, the things that he did, which didn't always make sense to me, right? It wasn't like I always looked at everything he did and went, that's amazing. I didn't understand why he would heal someone and then tell them not to say anything. I didn't understand why he asked people to start following him. He seemed like kind of a humble guy, and yet, you know, he, 
starts picking guys like on a kickball team. I didn't understand that part at all. But he intrigued me. And he didn't seem to care what other people thought, and I really cared what other people thought. So I was really drawn in to the person, the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. The second thing is I was really drawn in by the way that Christians treated me, the way they welcomed me. And I have been a Christian since then. That was in the 70s, okay? And since 1984, I've actually been in vocational ministry. I've been in full-time ministry. And I think I've lost my way a few times, and I've gotten a little too caught up in how to do what I call churchianity. You know, I've gotten a little too busy trying to do all the right things and act the right way and check all the boxes and keep this Christian thing going. And what I've really been dwelling on this summer is just trying to remember that it's about those, these two things, right? It's about the compelling, amazing, often confusing, but very powerful life and ministry of Jesus. And it's also about loving your neighbor, welcoming others in. I was so lost and I needed to be found. I was lost and I didn't know where to look. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking for a boyfriend. I, I didn't know that there was something else that was way more helpful to my problems. They had to come get me and show me what I needed. So what I want us to spend time doing today is start remembering what this is all about. And I think the best way to do it, I'm, gonna, I'm up here so I get to tell you what I think is the best way, <laughs> is to start reading the Gospels again. And we are going to read the book of Mark, not the entire thing, it's 16 chapters, which is actually surprisingly short. If you sat down, you could read it in half an hour. We're just going to read a good chunk of the first chapter. So I think it's been handed out to you, if you could grab it. And I'm hoping that you have something to write with. I want us to read the Bible together. If you don't have a pen, that's fine. Just, I don't know, chew on it or scratch it with your teeth or something. Um, and what we're going to do is um, I'm going to read a section... And then what I would like to invite you to do is just dwell on it for a moment. I need my reading glasses here pretty quick. Um, is sit on it and then say, what stands out to me? What strikes me? It can be what bugs me. It can be what confuses me. It can be that makes no sense. It can be, I love that. Or, wow, that's really striking. Okay, so we're just going to look at the first nine verses at first. Again, I will read it and then... Just to warn you, if you like something, I'm going to ask, does anyone notice anything? And you all know each other better than I do, so go ahead and raise a hand. I hope that there's some people that are not shy, and there's no such thing as a stupid answer. Remember, I was the one that didn't understand why the book of Mark was repeating the book of Matthew, right? So it's all grace here. Verse 1, <clears throat> the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Matthew, <laughs> sorry. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Okay, I'm just going to say right now, that's really weird. Okay, just FYI. So it's okay if you think that's weird. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So let's pause for a moment. Go ahead. If you notice something, kind of scan over it. Just I'll give you a few seconds. Anything strike you? Anything confuse you? Jonathan. All the people of Jerusalem were confessing their sins. Yeah. What do you What do you think about that? <laughs> so uh, hopefully everyone can hear him um, and feel free to be loud. He said, "All the people of Jerusalem were confessing their sins." That's powerful, Aaron. What, Heather? And baptized. Which, and their baptism was not what we consider baptism, right? The Jews would baptize when they just kind of wanted to mark a meaningful moment or start over. It was symbolic. I see one over here, yeah. Uh, and two, it talks about how he basically has like a herald coming in front of them. Uh-huh. I think it's funny, it starts off with like, like, Jesus is coming to the Exactly. And that should be very noticeable and significant. I mean, one thing that I notice, and I know this just because I've done a little study here, hopefully, is the word good news was actually used to announce emperors before. That, the word gospel in the Roman Empire was used when emperors had a big announcement, like, I had a baby, or I got married for the 14th time, or, you know, whatever. So for them to announce that this guy is bringing good news is significant. Yes? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Isaiah was 700 years earlier, which is a blink of an eye to God, right? And now it's being fulfilled. Are you raising your hand in the back? Yes. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just so glad I'm not doing this with junior hires. I've done youth ministry my whole career. That's one of the best reasons I know Jonathan, because uh, we work in youth ministry stuff together. But they would have gotten so stuck on the word thong, they wouldn't have been able to talk about anything else. <laughs> so, and they would have been like, thong. <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I would have lost the room. I mean, I would have picked a different translation. Okay. Okay, well, I noticed a couple things that I, and like I, know, I just noted earlier, is this good news, this idea of good news. And I, I have to stop and ask myself, do I think this is good news? Does it look like it in my life that I think this is good news? 
You know, one of the things that I've been told before is that, you know, when you're excited about something, Kelly, notify your face, you know. Do I look like, when I talk about Jesus, that it's good news? So that's coming early in this gospel, and I want to think about that. The other thing I noticed is that up to verse 9, the word baptize, some form of it, is used six times. That's significant. In English, we say when something is really, we want to emphasize it, we say good, better, best. In the Hebrew culture, which is when this was initially addressed to, they just keep repeating things. So they would say good, good, good. That means it's really important. Six times, baptize, 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 right? There's something here we're supposed to be noticing that maybe it's time for us to die to our old lives and begin again. Yes? Until you what? Yes, and that's what's, a, it's an, an invitation. So powerful. Well, let's keep reading. I was so nervous no one would say anything. You guys are A+. Plus. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let's go to verse 12. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Okay. What do you see? What do you notice? Yes. If you have read the Bible a lot, if you've been a Christian for a while, we can get a little bit inoculated. And I want you to read it as if you're a 15-year-old loser Kelly. You know, if you're like lost, seeking, reading her Gemco Bible, first time, you know. I, I noticed that. I don't know what this good news is, and I want to know what it is. Did you have something, Aljua? Yeah. Uh-huh. Random. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. That's great. Yeah. So again, the, the kingdom is always, you know, I've, it was a phrase popular in the 70s, but Jesus leads the upside down kingdom. You know, he does the things that the world would think is crazy. That's what he does. That, again, that was attractive to me. Yes? Right. 
And that was really confusing to me. Like for me, when I first read it, and I, I even read it, like, so I reread it this week as if I'd never read, tried to read it as if I'd never read it before. And I'm like, why do you go in the wilderness? That, I mean, what? Why, why? And there's no explanation given. And then why did John get arrested? I thought John was a good guy. I mean, random outfit, but I mean, why did he get arrested? You know, we aren't told. We are later in Mark. But yes, Jonathan. Yeah, so he's confused by a lot of the language. And I was really struck by that phrase, the kingdom of God. Because I knew at least a little bit that this was happening in the midst of the Roman Empire. And woo, they're talking about a whole different empire. So remember I said earlier, do I believe this is good news? The second thing that was really been striking me this week is whose empire do I belong to? Which empire am I building? Okay, let's keep reading, 16 to 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I find that humorous. Um, <clears throat> what do you see? Yes, in the back. They just go. And I'm like, you left your dad in the boat. <laughs> Wow. Have you, and my question was, have they ever seen Jesus before? Yeah, really. Were they in junior high woodshop? You know, yeah, who knows? You know, and it was just so crazy. Yeah, and then they just drop everything and follow. Yes. Yeah. Why would they leave? Well, I know why I would leave. I, yeah. Very back. Yeah. Isn't it fun to read this and kind of look with different eyes and see that there's this interesting story unfolding? I mean, one word you want to notice is immediately. Mark loves using that word. In the original Greek, it's euthus there. I've shown you I went to seminary. But uh, it, it's used frequently. I didn't even note it earlier in verse 12. He uses it throughout the book of Mark. And he's trying to show that there's just this action happening, one thing after another. So I noticed especially this, I'm going to make you fishers of people. What? I, I don't want to fish people. What? I mean, that, that was confusing to me, but I thought, I kind of want to find out what that is. And then as, as you guys have noticed, he dropped, they dropped everything. What is it about Jesus that would make people want to drop everything? Did you have something? Yeah. And we learn a lot about Peter later. And whew, we think John's a piece of work. Yeah, we can talk about Peter. So I'm going to keep moving forward just because I want to make sure we get to a couple things. Um, on, let's go, we have to skip over one of my favorite parts in 21 to 28, but I want to get to 35. So all this stuff happens in 21 to 34. 
He goes into Capernaum. He starts teaching in a synagogue. They see that he has authority. A man with an unclean spirit comes in, and is, he casts out a demon. He heals Peter's, uh, Simon, Peter's mother. The whole city gathers at the door, and here we are at verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went, out, he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do you see? Boldness. Sorry? Boldness. Boldness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not real excited about hearing about any demons. I'm, I skipped over it, but I'd want you to notice in verse uh, 24, when he casts out the man with the unclean spirit, he casts out the unclean spirit from the man, the, the demon says, I know who you are. Okay, that's crazy. So the, the demons seem to know who Jesus is. Fascinating. What else do you see? Yes. He seems to know, he's on a mission, he knows what he's up to. This is what I came to do. He's not caught up in the fervor of the crowds. The whole town is at the door, and, you know, and the disciples are like, ooh, <laughs> they don't know, disciples who don't have, know, even know what their job description is, why? And they come in, they're like, everyone's here, and Jesus is like, yeah, we're going somewhere else. What? You know, I mean, they were just baffled, because wouldn't you want a big crowd? But he's like, that's, what I, that's not what I came to do. Yes, in the back. And he was teaching with authority. And what's powerful about that, we, you would only know this if you'd done a little background reading, but basically, if you have a whole Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. As I used to tell my youth group, it was Malachi, the Italian prophet, but we don't. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, so, but Malachi, and then there was a 400-year silence. So they hadn't heard from God in 400 years. And now all of a sudden this man comes and teaches with authority. So, I mean, that is really powerful. So you can see why it can be enchanting to read a gospel with new eyes. I also recommend printing it out like this in almost a manuscript form so you kind of get out of your habits of using study notes and seeing what you wrote previously and just read the text raw for what it is. Okay, so then we... Few details are given, as we notice. Why did he go to the wilderness? We don't know. Why did, Peter, why did uh, John get arrested? We don't know. All these different things we don't know, but what we see is action, right? We see that he's... Uh, can you read that? Sorry, it's so small. He's been baptized. He goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted. He announces the kingdom of God. He starts asking people to follow him. He preaches and casts out demons and heals people and is mobbed. Boom, boom, boom. It's just all these things start happening. I mean, it's just action. There's a lot of activity. It's exciting. And you want to know more. 
So there's a few things that I see that I would love for us to notice as we kind of get closer to, to thinking about the so what, okay? I, I want to say it again, and if that's the only thing you remember from this message today, it would be this, is that Jesus fascinates me. I don't always understand what he's doing. But there's something about him that I want to know more. I want to know why the demons know who he is. I want to know why the fishermen drop everything to follow him. Jesus fascinates me. Secondly, he surprises me. He's unpredictable. I think one of the dangers of the American church is that we domesticate Jesus. We make him actually pretty darn boring, kind of holy and just, he just sits there, you know, and he just prays a lot, you know, whatever. And we think that's what happens, but there's things that, the, that intrigue me. Uh, why would he say he wants us to fish for people? I mean, that's confusing to me. Why does he ask people to remain quiet after he heals them? It goes on and on. I mean, and further and later, he, he loses his temper a couple times. He seems impatient. He surprises me, and I allow that to, to sink in. But he's in control. I think someone mentioned that earlier. He's got authority. He doesn't get upended by the stuff that happens. You know, a, a man with an unclean spirit comes in where he's teaching in the synagogue, and he doesn't panic. He doesn't say, woo, crazy person, ah! You know, no, he just, he deals with the person humanely. He gets mobbed. He doesn't get all sucked up in that and say, woo, yeah, paparazzi, let me sign autographs. I mean, he, he goes out to the deserted place. As Ajwan noted, the wilderness, the wilderness is where Jesus really encounters the Father the most. It's one of the reasons I love taking kids to camp. Something happens different in the wilderness. They get away from the distractions and they can hear. He's in control. He never panics. He knows who he is. He doesn't buy into the fame and popularity that seems to be happening. That's not what I came to do, he said. You know, I, I've come to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. All that healing stuff, he'll do it because he has compassion, because he wants, people seem to want proof that he is who he says he is, even though he's not saying who he is at this point. But he's in control, he knows who he is. So these things really grab me. The last thing is that he never goes out on his own. He doesn't get ahead of the will of the Father. All these things happening, remember, it's just action. I mean, chapter one is so jam-packed with all these activities, but then he goes out to the deserted place to, to say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? What's next? And it's to leave Capernaum, to leave the crowds, and to go on somewhere else. I'm hoping and praying that as we do this together, because we really did this together, I mean, you could say, oh, Kelly, you only preach for about 10 minutes because you let everyone else talk, and that, that, that to me is an ideal sermon, frankly, but um, we did this together. I hope that you're, you're getting caught up in the wonder of who Jesus is again, being reminded. I mean, spend the rest of your summer reading the book of Mark. Believe me, it will pay off. But let's think now a little bit about the so what. Always confident of the slide. I want us to think about this briefly. We don't need to let our circumstances run our lives. 
Like Jesus, we don't need to go to get buried in the details or distracted by what others think. Let's stick with our priorities. He was on a mission. He knew what he was about. The day-to-day details didn't overwhelm him. It is really easy for me to get overwhelmed by the details of my life. And I can have this clear idea in my head and yet get totally upended by something that actually two weeks later is going to be of no consequence really whatsoever. So how am I keeping my eyes on the prize? How am I keeping my eyes focused on what God's called me to do and what it means to be with him? Secondly, oh, that quote didn't come up. I'm going to read it for you. It says, the ups and downs of our spiritual lives depend on our obedience. That is our attentive listening to the movements of the spirit of God within us. This is from Henry Nowen. The ups and downs of our spiritual lives depend on our obedience. That is our attentive listening to the movements of the spirit within us. Without this listening, our spiritual life eventually becomes subject to the windswept waves of our emotions. I think one of the things I'm trying to learn the most this summer is that prayer is more about listening than talking. And that means I need some silence in my life to listen to the promptings of the Spirit, to wait, to listen, to breathe, to take it in, to catch up. So I want to ask us, are we, are we carving out that kind of space, frankly, daily, if not weekly, in our lives? The second thing is that I would encourage you to let Jesus surprise you. I hope there's something that grabbed you today, something that you kind of went, wow, I'd forgotten about that. Or maybe you're here and you don't really even, the whole Jesus thing is kind of new to you. I mean, that's how I was. I spent years in church going, I have no idea what's going on. Everyone seems to know the words to these songs and are doing things I don't understand. So I pray that Jesus surprised you today. And I would say, look for that. My, my prayer would be that you gained or regained a sense of wonder about the life and person of Jesus. As I said earlier, I think we've made him kind of boring. I think we've domesticated him, and he doesn't really want to be penned in. So there's things that happen and emerge out of the ministry and life of Jesus that I think should surprise us, sometimes confuse us. There's things that are happening in the world that I don't understand. I'm going to God about it. Sometimes I'm shaking my fist. There's examples of that in the Bible. I don't understand. So I want to encourage you to sink into the Gospels and let the predictable, unpredictable story unfold. I, I spent time this summer not only in Mark, but in Luke. Luke is longer. He seems to mention women more, and that was interesting to me. And I'm going to move on to John. I, I'm really trying to get just swept up and reminded. I want to be be right next to Jesus and learn how to hear from him. The last thing would be that I would encourage you to follow his example. That is not showing up well. Sorry about that. To step away daily and to listen to God. Is that working? There we go. Remember, all that stuff happened and he stepped away and, and all of the disciples are looking for him. You know, they're stalking him, going, where are, 
you know, they got their radios out and they're like, we think he's in the bushes, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for him, they don't know where he is. But he doesn't get caught up in that, he stops and steps away. All too often I hear people and myself talk about how busy we are, right? How are you doing? Well, I'm pretty busy. Oh God, it's been really busy lately. Jesus was busy. Whatever I'm doing, not so much. And he still stepped away. He still stepped away into the wilderness, into the quiet places to be with him. And I'm hoping this next quote shows up because I think this is very humbling. From Martin Luther, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. The busier we get, the more we need to spend time with the Lord. Remember I talked about the upside down kingdom. Let's be upside down and not live life frenetically the way the world does. But instead, sit back and listen. So I'm going to end with this prayer. I just read it yesterday. Prayer is the place of refuge for every worry, a foundation for cheerfulness, a source of constant happiness, a protection against sadness. John Chrysostom was an early church father. Chrysostom actually means golden mouth. He was apparently a really gifted preacher. He'd been a monk, but he was so good at teaching the Bible that they begged him to come out of the monastery and teach them the word. And he found prayer to be these things. My, my, my prayer would be that we would, and you can challenge me, I want to challenge us, to find that refuge, that place, that foundation in God, in Jesus, and that you would be won over by him again. And your life would be renewed, transformed, so that we could do those two things that I talked about at the very beginning. Be won over by Jesus and welcome and love our neighbors out of the overflow of that presence of Christ in our lives.